Hello, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. We're the boyfriends. Yes, we are. And in this episode, we're doing season three, episode 20, Gossip. Battle for your life, Baba on. We are so close to the end of season three. We really are. We fl- it feels like we've flown through season three. It's crazy. Right. It only feels like recently when we started the podcast. It's only been over a year. It's only been just been just over a year. And I remember every who was it when we said that we were going to start Desperate Housewives, and who was it that was like that will take you like ten years to do all of Desperate Housewives. I think it <laughs> might have been my mum and my brother or maybe, one of them. Maybe I'm not sure. And I was like, ten. This not going to take ten years. I know it feels like Desperate Housewives goes on forever but <laughs> so before we get started today we would just like to report on some minor technical issues that we're having very yes. minor basically one of the clamps that holds the microphone stand into place has broken yeah it, it disintegrated into my hands yeah uh it, it's pretty cheap stuff it just basically means that i am holding my microphone in my hand physically so while joel has a microphone suspended in the air in front of him Mine's in my hand, and you may hear a few sounds if I move it, and the the levels might change as, yeah. as I have it too. And editing's going to be great. And before all of you divas start coming for me, accusing me of being a diva, because I'm the one that's got the microphone stand, I am very flamboyant, okay? I'm very expressive when I talk, and there is... It's, it's a bad idea giving me the mic to hold, because although B does most of the work for the podcast, <laughs> I move a lot when I talk, so... He's more like a robot in that he will, he can stay in one position for a very, very, very long time. Well, I get stiff, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can okay. cope. Okay, so that's our, um, that's our, like, TED talk over and done with. We've, we've pre-warned you and apologised. So in this episode, I'm going to be going through the episode and breaking it down, and Joel's going to be giving us all of the trivia and the fun facts. Do you have anything to start us off with? I do have a little bit, yes. So, this episode was directed by Wendy Stansler and written by John Puddy and Joey Murphy, two names that we've come to know and love in the Desperate Housewives fandom. The episode title, Garcep, is a song taken from the Stephen Sondheim musical Sunday in the Park with George. Every title translation was gossip. Are you serious? Except for one, which was Polish, and that translated into the power of gossip. It was a bad week for translations. That's never happened before. I know, right? This is the last episode to feature the full opening titles, and they did not feature in the rest of season three, and they were actually cut due to time constraints for seasons four, five, six, and seven. Damn. This episode also marks the final appearance of Dugray Scott as Ian Hainsworth. Thank God. I know, right? Love you, Dugray. Like, you were a fantastic addition to the show. Brilliant actor, but my God, your character. <laughs> His character. Get him in the bin. Yeah. And after a three-week absence, we finally get the return of the queen of the children, Julie Meyer. <laughs> All right. The queen of the children of the lane is back. It's been three weeks. It's been a three-week absence. And it has... A, I mean, you've been clearly shocked from your uh, reaction to this bit of trivia, but I feel like it has been a noticeable absence. <laughs> I have really missed Julie's face on our screen. So, yeah, we have a brief return of the queen of the children, mm-hmm. Julie. So crown it and enjoy and that's all i've got for now brilliant right then so previously parker promised karen not to tell anyone about the body in her freezer and she gets arrested when someone else finds it ida looking at you ida mm-hmm. susan finds out that ian and mike bet her in a poker game and chooses neither of them in the end lynette's relationship with rick continues to grow as tom pushes her away 
Edie finds out that Carlos still loves Gabby, and Gabby says yes to Victor's marriage proposal. Yeah. So, to the intro. We're at the pizzeria, where Gabby is celebrating her marriage proposal, and Mary Alice says that she somehow got injured, but not from nearly getting her fingers slammed in the car door, almost having her hand stepped on, or the knife that nearly landed on her wrist. Apparently, it was caused by someone she thought was her friend. Well, first of all, Lynette needs to talk to her staff. Right. That knife could have seriously injured someone, and there was zero reaction from anyone when it fell on the table. Gabby didn't even, like, swiftly move her hand away, like, oh my god, like, that That nearly... That, you could have killed me. They're not paid enough. Like, that person was just like, oh, whoops, I'm <laughs> struggling, oh, there's a lot on my thing. Slam. Also, nearly having your hands slammed in the car door, that made me cringe. That... Who hasn't had that happen to them? Oof. That happened to me. I, like, fucked up my finger in a car door when I went out with Amy Bills. Shout out to you, Bills, if you're listening. And I still didn't even realise until I got into the pub and I had blood going down my hand. And I was like, excuse me, but while you're getting my drink, can I get a plaster, please? Ow. Very ow. I, I felt it and it hurt, but it was so dark that I couldn't sell anything. So I just sort of stumbled into the pub. Yikes forever. <laughs> yeah. But before we find out how she was injured, we see her talking to Lynette. Apparently, Gabby told Brie about the engagement, and even though she's at the top of a mountain in the Swiss Alps, she still managed to send a basket of muffins, and they were still moist. Are we surprised? No, Martha Stewart wishes. <laughs> Susan then takes the microphone so that she can begin a speech, but before Gabby can stop her, she runs into Edie, who asks if Victor is the one, and she says yes, much to Edie's delight. Edie then tells Gabby she's found someone else too, and she's crazy about him, and tells her that it's Carlos. <laughs> And Gabby clearly hates this because she smashes a glass in her own hand. She laughs it off when being patched up, but Mary Alice says that it actually cut a lot deeper than anyone could see. Don't mess with Gabby, Edie, because the bitch is smashing glasses with her bare hand. She's literally there like Jessica Jones, like the tension (laughs) in her hand. (laughs) Yeah, that shattered a wine glass. That was horrible to watch. Such a cold bitch, Edie. Like, she, Edie can't even play ignorant because she knows that just sort of hinting that there is someone will make Gabby question it. Gabby's stubborn and Edie knows this. So, although, yes, we can blame Gabby for being like, I want to know. No, tell me. I'm not leaving. I'm not letting you leave until you tell me. Edie knows full well Gabby will react like that. Edie was smart as well, though, because she kind of backs her into a corner. She's like, is he the one? Do you love him? Good, you've moved on. I'm with Carlos. Yeah, but like, <laughs> she's literally like, oh, I don't want to say anything. It's your day. But why say it, bitch? Because you knew Gabby would be insistent. Yeah. So why even say something like that? You could have just left it with, I've met Victor. He's really charming. Do you really love him? I'm so happy for you. Because it's Edie. Go. You know she wants to talk about herself. Yeah, I know. But this is Gabby's engagement party. You could have done it the day after, at least. You and don't that's have to why do it. you don't invite Edie. Yeah. Or Gabby. Oh, I invite Gabby all the time. No, but if you're either of them, you she don't invite the other. She just never turns up. <laughs> <laughs> also it's because you are gabby i know i am gabby i invite myself <laughs> susan is the og parody queen she's there reworking the lyrics to win beneath my wings <laughs> like do you remember that time when parody songs were huge everywhere yep key of awesome and parody songs were everywhere everyone was doing them and susan was the one that started that trend yeah apparently she walked <clears throat> so that lonely island could run oh god lonely island don't even run We then have the title sequence, and then after that, Mary Alice narrates about gossip, and we see some wonderful shots of people's mouths flapping about. It's very Rocky Horror Picture Show if it wasn't singing at the start. You know, the mouth. Yeah, just the mouth. (laughs) 
We then cut to the ladies who are all gossiping about Karen and the body that was found in the freezer. Susan asks if they think she killed him. Gabby says definitely. <laughs> but Lynette isn't so sure. Gabby then sees Edie talking, taking out the trash and excuses herself to go talk to her. I'm just saying, these women wish Karen killed her husband. Oh, yeah. They're not there like, oh, no, I don't think she did. They wish she killed the husband so that they can have something to talk about. Yeah, these are our main characters, but the show isn't scared to show you what kind of people they are. No. And do they have to make it so obvious they're talking about Karen? They literally stood across the road staring at her house and pointing. But they are bored. Mm. I mean, they have very dramatic lives, but they're women, some of whom are stuck at home, and they just want something to gossip about. Yeah. Also calling out Mary Alice for saying that all housewives gossip. Excuse me, Mary Alice, everyone gossips. Yeah. So just the housewives. The only thing is, men call it banter to protect their fragile masculinity. Exactly. So, Gabby goes up to Edie and says, so you know how you feel like some people hate you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. To which Edie says no. And Gabby starts to talk about how pissed off people are getting with Edie dating people's exes. (laughs) Edie doesn't seem to get why this is a problem. And Gabby says that if she doesn't stop, then she'll regret it. And Edie says, you're as tall as my legs. What are you going to do? To which Gabby replies, you're about to find out. Excuse me, Edie. Ooh, the ladies are fighting. Ah, yes. Gabby is about to be first lady of Fairview. She's going to come into all of this newfound power. And one day, Edie's not just not going to turn up to an episode. I don't think that people have that much power. But everyone would be like, where's Edie? And they'll assume that she's probably in Karen's freezer. But no, she's at the bottom of Fairview Lake. Oh, Joel, our favourite women are fighting. I know, right? What are we going to do? Does this mean that we have to fight? You're siding with Edie, I'm siding with Gabby. Just because she's my favourite doesn't mean I'm siding with her. Uh, They're both in the wrong, I guess. Like, not both in the wrong, sorry, but like Edie and Carlos, sorry, are both in the wrong. It takes two And Gabby. Why, why Gabby? Because it's a complicated relationship. No one's in the right or the wrong. It's not really that kind of battle. There's a girl code. There is a girl code. But at what point is but, it okay when you've when someone's moved on and people have feelings for each other? But you just you just don't date an ex. <laughs> it's it's disrespectful. Maybe she could have approached Gabby about it first. She could have approached Gabby about it first. And sure, if she'd have gone that route and gone up to Gabby and said. I'm getting feelings for Carlos. What What are your thoughts? Would you be happy if I pursue that if Carlos is also up for it? And Gabby says, you have my blessing. That's fine. Exactly. Then it's okay. But you don't scoop underneath a person and go after their ex. Edie's, Edie's not a very good friend like that. No, she's not. She, this is the third time she's done it. Yeah. In three seasons. <laughs> One of them was her enemy. So we, st- we stand. Yeah. But Gabby is her friend and she should have done better. She, with yeah, this situation. She should have. And, you know, Carlos, like I say, Carlos isn't off the hook here either because it takes two to tango and we can't always blame the women. Carlos has even acknowledged Gabby will not take this well. Yeah. So Susan and the queen of the children, Julie, are unpacking when Ian rings the doorbell. Julie says he has flowers and Susan hopes that the fawns rip him to shreds and refuses to answer the door. Julie then begins to convince Susan that Ian and Mike are the only men who know all of her flaws and still love her, and maybe she shouldn't throw them away. But Susan is still quite rightly peed off. Yeah. Mike then walks up, and Julie, like the audience, is like, ooh, this should be interesting, Mike just showed up. And Mike starts to intimidate Ian. They're about to throw down, and Julie tells them that her mum wants them to leave, but doesn't come across as bitchy as Susan would like, so Julie slams the door shut, and the men disperse. I'm very disappointed in Julie for this. The best thing about this scene was that Susan was hiding on the floor behind the door, telling Julie what to say. That was about to get really hot. We were about to have Ian and Mike going at it. 
You can't blame Julie for what Susan's making her do. I'm very disappointed in Julie for this. I'm sorry, Julie. I'm... You're... No. I thought we were on the same wavelength, girl. You know, Mike is actually really, like, antagonistic here. Oh, yeah, he is. Not only is he coming for Ian's lady, to start with. <laughs> Ian's lady. Yeah, but, but then he, like, comes up to him after this whole thing. And he's like, why don't you just give it up? <laughs> Take it like a Brit. Stiff up rip. <laughs> why is he goading him like this? Because he knows he can. He's not threatened by Ian. Yeah, but he's, like, starting. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be starting something. He wants to fight. And can I just say, Susan states in this scene that she was a virgin until the age of 22. And I swear in the past she said that she lost it when she was younger. Yeah, but she says that to Julie. Well, no, but she said younger originally, and then Julie looked at her and she was like, 22. Mm. Yeah, continuity's a bitch. So, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure if that is correct or not. I have a memory of it being brought up that Susan like, slept with someone when she was younger than 22. But whether that's the case or not, I don't know. It does sound crazy unlikely, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So Rick serves Annette a new ravioli recipe he's worked on, which she loves, and she gets a call from Tom who says he loves her. She then overhears the kids in the background and wonders why they're still up, and Tom tries to convince her that she should come home because the kids miss her and the restaurant closed over half an hour ago. But Lynette lies and says they have to do inventory. So Lynette is now lying about how she spends her time with Rick, which is dangerous territory it is very dangerous territory i will say can we i don't want to say give lynette a break because what she's doing is she's playing with fire it's very dangerous territory but at the same time if she wasn't doing all of this with rick the restaurant did only close 30 minutes ago so give her a chance yeah but they just miss her no i know but tom said like the restaurant did close 30 minutes ago and i'm just like yeah and to be fair if she wasn't eating food with rick she would probably be cleaning up closing up doing all of these bits that you, know, you probably have to do in a restaurant to close maybe, it maybe i've never worked in a restaurant but i know from what i've heard of other people that have worked in restaurants you know friends and that and from when you worked in a coffee shop and stuff like that they do start cleaning up pretty early yeah oh god yeah so i think the ideal thing would be to be done within 10 or 15 minutes after closing wouldn't it mm, ideally obviously these things don't go to plan sometimes no and it depends i guess it depends on how late you've got your last table if you've got a booked in table at like 10 o'clock and you close at half past 10, technically, then you can't close at half 10. You've got to wait. Maybe she should just bring Rick home and date him at home. Maybe, yeah. Around the kitchen. Maybe they can have an open relationship. No, just dump Tom. Oh, yeah, that too. I'm joking. Tom comes outside to check on Parker, wondering why he's outside at night. And Parker says that he's upset because some kids threw eggs at Karen's house. And we see Karen wiping her front door clean. He wonders if they should help her, but Tom says she probably doesn't want them over there this late and leads him back inside as Karen watches from across the street. Kids are so horrible. Get a hobby. We get this very sad music playing throughout the scene and it, it does make you feel sad for Karen. Although you do wonder what the hell she has, <laughs> why she has a body in her freezer for, so... Yeah, because we still don't know. Yeah. But I think it's really sweet. Parker's so sweet. But this show has always made it so that the person who seems guilty usually isn't. Mm-hmm. So you can almost trust Karen right away, just based yeah. on show history. Yeah, pretty much. And plus, we've gotten to know Karen. They've really developed her character before all of this. So actually, even if she is guilty of murder or something, they've made her such a lovable character up to this point. That we won't care. We won't care. <laughs> <laughs> He probably had it coming. <laughs> he yeah, had it coming. Exactly. It was probably self-defense. Karen's there like, I poisoned him. He was really boring. And I'd be like, self-defense. Right? <laughs> he was going to bore her to death. Exactly. If... What, like, what happens if he bored her to death? 
So Gabby announces to Susan and Lynette that they are no longer talking to Edie anymore. And when Lynette asks her to clarify the we part, Gabby says all of them as Edie betrayed her and they have to support her. She also brings up how Edie had it on with Mike and Carl and so Susan should be mad too. And this is when Susan tries to say that maybe we should actually stop letting the men get away with everything too. Gabby then says that friends share more than just gossip and brunch and we have a bit of a clip. Don't even get me started about what I've done for you, okay? I'm still boycotting Madame Kim's days ball because of your botched bikini wax. Oh my god, how do you botch a bikini wax? She will show you later! The point is, good friends share more than just gossip and brunch. They share enemies too, so are you with me or not? Of course we're with you. We will give Edie the cold shoulder. No, no, not cold. Frozen! I want icicles hanging from that bitch's ears! It's a good question, Lynette. How do you botch a bikini wax? Poor Susan. Yeah. She goes through it. She really does go through it, doesn't she? Do you remember that time she was at the nail salon and she kicked that bitch in the face? (laughs) (laughs) She has a very good point. Yeah, she's not wrong. It was just overkill. I like that Lynette in this whole scene is the one that's basically just responding to how crazy everyone sounds. Yeah. I mean, it is very schoolyard behaviour, but what do we expect from Gabby? Well, yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. Like, it shouldn't need to be verbalised. Good friends do share enemies. So Lynette gets home to find Kayla sitting at the table and doing a puzzle. She asks if she needs help with her book report, but Kayla says that Tom has already helped her, as Tom has been doing everything lately. Lynette lies and says that she gets home as soon as she can, and we have a clip for this scene as well. Believe me, I come home to Daddy just as soon as I can. (laughs) You're lying. What? You always laugh like that when you're telling a lie. (laughs) Why would you say that? Because it's true. I stay late because there's a lot of work to do, and right now I'm the only person who can do it, and now I have to go to the grocery store because I am the only person who can do that. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go upstairs and finish your homework? Okay. But it is what you do. Oh, Kayla came to deliver that tea. Right, Kayla, call her out. This is not an award we have ever given before, and I'm giving it to Kayla right now. Queen of the episode goes to Kayla. I know that we've only just had a clip, but there's two reasons why we couldn't not play that clip. The first one is... (laughs) (laughs) Me and B do that all the time. (laughs) It all started when Carlos hit on her, and she was like... (laughs) And then... (laughs) You just notice that she does it a lot. And Kayla, finally someone called her out for it. Yeah. But also, Kayla doesn't really get clips very often. No, she doesn't. And she's such an incredible little actress. I said it in the last episode of the podcast. I'll say it again. Such a good little actress. And she's such an intuitive little bitch. Like, we just, we had to give her something. What a bitch. (laughs) It's Lynette when Kayla went upstairs. (laughs) But it is what you do. But it is what you do. (laughs) Called her out. Lynette didn't take the truth well, did she? She really didn't. She's she like, like, mm. went off on one. She probably went off on one, then she did the, mm-hmm. So why don't you go upstairs and do your homework? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is basically how you tell a kid to F off. Yeah. But Lynette's not wrong. She is doing everything. Yeah. Kayla's also not wrong. <laughs> no, no, she's not. Lynette, that is what Lynette does. That is how she laughs when she lies. But Lynette is doing everything. So let's cut a girl a bit of slack. Right. Let her have an affair. She is... I'm not saying that. I'm just saying she's running a restaurant. She's keeping a marriage going. She's being a mother. She's also kind of got someone else on the side. And she's doing the grocery shopping. 
And also, being Ms. Marple, trying to figure out what the hell's going on with Karen. I can barely balance a coffee mug in my hand. Right? Like, you know, guys, you can't even see how much you're struggling with that damn mic. It's making my hand cramp. <laughs> Staying this still. <laughs> Susan is about to park her car when some asshole swings into the spot out of nowhere. I'm so triggered. Mm-hmm. This has happened to me. I hate when that happens. She tells the guy that she waited for the last guy who was in the spot to move after free phone calls but, and flossing, but the man is very rude to Susan and tells her to keep a lid on her hormones. When he goes to walk away, Susan then trips him up, picks up his keys, and decides that she's going to move the car out of the space herself. The man tries to stop her by grabbing the keys through the window, but Susan rolls up the window so that his head gets stuck, and she demands that he admits to being a rude and arrogant bastard who has no no respect for women. The police then show up to check if the man was trying to steal the car, because that's what it looks like. Holding guns, because apparently this is a gun-holding situation. It's America. But the man, head still stuck in the window, says that she stole his keys. It's my car! (laughs) Is this true, ma'am? Oh, fine. Take his side. Oh, Susan. (laughs) Well, admittedly, Susan, his is the side to take. Sort of. I know it's a bit messy, but I really loved this moment for Susan. I was like, yes, Susan, you call him out. You're doing what I could never do, and I love it. This moment was a mood. Everybody watching wishes they could be this version of Susan right now. Just snapping and beating up on a man. Being brave enough and having been wronged enough to trip someone up and steal their car keys to move their car out of your way. Yeah. And who has ever wanted to move someone else's car? Yeah. I mean, yes, who who has ever been sat waiting for a space and then someone just comes in and fucking takes it? Well, I remember I was reversing into a spot and someone just drove in forward and I was like, I was indicating and reversing and that was dangerous. Yeah. Oh, it's... If you don't drive, guys, you can't understand how frustrating it is. You just can't understand that. If you don't drive, you just can't understand how frustrating it is driving. Drivers, People yeah. on the road are morons. Absolute morons. And if you're one of those douchebags that doesn't indicate or you overtake when you shouldn't because you're an impatient asshole, <laughs> then shame on you. Having the chance to wind someone's head up in a window, smack them about a bit and tell them to apologise. Yeah. Fantastic. Kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Sue. Well done, (laughs) Sue. Well done, Sue. Queen Sue. (laughs) So, Edie is staring out of the window, because Susan doesn't do that anymore. She rolls people's heads in windows, but she doesn't look out of them anymore. (laughs) And she's watching Lynette across the road. Carlos asks what's up, and Edie says that Lynette hasn't been returning any of her calls. She tries calling again, and watches as Lynette looks at her phone and just makes it go to voicemail. She screens her. Gasp. She suspects Gabby to be behind this, which doesn't surprise Carlos, who says that he warned Edie that she'd act like this, and Edie says that Gabby can play school games all she wants, as she invented those games. Edie is as old as school itself, so I wouldn't be surprised if she did invent the games. (laughs) Edie then approaches Lynette and invites her to Trevor's birthday party, but she basically says no because of work, so Edie says that she was hoping that Lynette could cater. This piques Lynette's interest, especially when Edie says that once one kid has a pizza party, they'll all want a pizza party, so it's also good for business. And she says that maybe she can work something out. Lynette must know that this is deliberate, considering the party is Saturday, and she's only just asked Lynette to cater now. True, although Edie does seem like the kind of um, not very organised person. <laughs> yeah. But Edie plays up the whole, oh, hi, I have no idea what's going on. I was, I'm just in, innocently asking you to do this thing. If I were Lynette, I'd be like, you're having a fucking laugh, right? Saturday, you want me to cater? How much are you paying me? Are you going to compensate for the loss that I will get from not opening my actual restaurant? Mm. 
But the pay is probably going to make it worth it. The pay probably will. And he does make a valid point. Kids want what other kids have. Exactly. So they will all want a pizza party. They're all going to want a pizza party. Pasta for the adults. Great for business. Yeah. But I will say, I couldn't find this anywhere. But I noticed a goof in this scene. And I even rewatched it like three times just to double check. When Edie walks up to Lynette, fine, nothing. When she turns around to leave, she's got gum. Oh. She's chewing on the gum. But I literally, specific, I watched that scene like three times and I watched it just for Edie's mouth to see if I could see gum in it or see her chewing while she was walking up to Lynette or whatever. Nothing. Yeah, because it's weird that she wouldn't chew at all. Yeah. During the scene. Yeah. And if she was talking, you'd see it in her mouth. (laughs) Good spot. Following the parking space incident, Susan seems to be in a therapy session ordered to help out with her anger issues. Susan says that she doesn't have anger issues and that she was just having a bad day, but the therapist insists that these outbursts normally happen for a reason. She asks how different things are to which Susan barely responds, and then when she asks how Susan's love life is, she just completely breaks down into tears. And the therapist asks someone on the phone to cancel her lunch as she's going to be here a while. Brilliant acting from Terry Hatcher. That like sudden flip from fine, don't really want to talk about it, to like utter heartbreak and devastation yeah like when she's just like (laughs) i do love it when people just suddenly start breaking down in these shows it's so unexpected yeah (laughs) and you have to feel for the other character as well because you're like oh my god i'd feel so awkward in this situation it happens again later in the series but i'm waiting for it now i also really love when people have to go to court ordered anger management and they always do this thing where they're like i don't have anger management i just had a bad day yeah well (laughs) I think you've had more than a bad day, Sue. <laughs> she has, but this day is what tipped her over the edge. I mean, it was a hell of a, a thing to happen it when was. you're already having a bad day. Yes. And it's the little things, it's the little things that can do it, mm. isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It is those little things that push you over. Parker goes over to Karen's house and rings the doorbell, to which Karen angrily opens the door, thinking it's one of the kids who keeps ringing the doorbell and running away. He wants Karen to be their babysitter again as their new one sucks, and she says that life is like that sometimes. Parker says that everything would be fine if she just told people why she had the body in her freezer, but Karen points out to Parker in the direction of some women that are talking in the street and says that nothing she does will stop those mouths from gossiping, and so she just has to wait this one out. Parker really is a little gay kid, isn't he? He's just come straight over to Karen to bitch about the babysitter. Right. He's like, ugh, that girl is awful. Karen... Pour some tea while I pour my tea. Right. He's like, literally, his problem is carrots. He's like, she thinks carrot sticks are a snack. <laughs> <laughs> no fudgesicles. Carrot sticks are a snack, Parker. Carrot sticks are delicious. It's just not the snack that you're into. He's like, not yet, but he'll develop a more sophisticated palate. <laughs> and she does point to the women gossiping in the street, which um, does harken to the theme of the episode. And, I mean, the best thing to do normally is to just wait it out. I'd just wave. You do know that those women are making it obvious though, right? I'd be like, hi, I know you're talking about me. Hi, girl. Hey, I'll be in my booth. (laughs) Um, No, I'd be like, hey, girls, get it. Talk all you want. I know I'm the shit. It's like when you're walking through school and you just know that everyone's talking about you. Yeah. I'd literally be calling out to these women being like, bitches, you wish you could put your husband in a freezer. Right. So don't be chatting this shit. (laughs) High school never ends. It never does. Thank you, Bowling for Soup. High school Mm. does never end. So, back at the therapy session, Susan is telling the therapist all about the poker game that Ian and Mike bet her on and how degrading it felt. But the therapist seems to think that it's all a matter of perspective as men have been betting on women for centuries. The therapist then asks how Susan feels about the men and Susan admits to her that she's totally in love with both of them and now she has to make a devastating choice that she can't make. 
The therapist asks, so you're just going to walk away from both of them? And basically he says that letting one go is a choice, but to let them both go would be stupid. The psychiatrist does view it in an interesting way, but like, this isn't medieval England, love. We've moved forward with the times. She's like, oh yes, poker's not as romantic as jousting. Yeah, because it's not a romantic concept anymore to fight for a woman or like to bet a woman. Yeah, can Miss Therapist here stop promoting toxic masculinity, please? Yeah. Like, it's demeaning, and it's possessive, and to just sit there as a man and bet a woman like she's a prize to be won. What's the prize? Also, as a therapist, are you really meant to be invalidating your patient's feelings? No, I, I don't necessarily think she's invalidating Susan's feelings. I think she is just trying to get Susan to see it from a different perspective. I don't necessarily agree with the perspective, but it is healthy to see things from different perspectives. It is healthy to see things from different perspectives. I do wish that she'd just shut up, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. This therapist, this is why this therapist is court-appointed. <laughs> She's like the Woolworths of therapists. She is, yeah. So, Lynette and Brick are at the pizzeria together. Lynette isn't wearing the uniform bit, by the way. Oh, no. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, no, I didn't. Floral shirt underneath that apron. She's rebelling against Tom more and more. Yeah. And Rick tells her that his brother is opening a restaurant and invites her on a date to eat some food that isn't pizza or pasta. At first, Lynette says no, and it's a little late because Sunday nights are crazy with the kids and everything. But after Rick says it's fine that she was the first person he thought of, she clearly has a change of heart and does agree to go with him. Ooh, playing with fire, girl. (laughs) I mean, I get it. It's fun. It's exciting. It's dangerous. But still, no, you don't do it. Yeah, she's walking on them hot coals. She is. Like, everybody knows playing with fire is fun. Everybody likes that element of danger. Doesn't mean you do it. You don't do it. And now she has realised there is more food than just pizza or pasta. Mm. So her her options are opening. Yeah, right? She can have a, a hot slab of that prime beef right there in front of her. Just skip a frick. Yeah. Oh, I've convinced you. <laughs> No. Finally. <laughs> no, Rick's hot. Rick is Rick is an attractive man and he has a decent back, so he can actually do you. But <laughs> But now you're going from staying with him, staying behind at work to going out of your way to go on dates. Going out. Well she's probably convincing herself that it's not a date, but Yeah. Oh it's not a date. We're just going out checking out it's the competition. It's a work meeting. Yeah, we're checking out the competition, guys. That's all it is. <laughs> we'll even put the bill on petty cash. Like <laughs> So we now cut to Lynette at Travers' birthday pizza party and she's serving up pizzas and wearing the uniform. She's wearing the uniform she's here. She's wearing the yeah. uniform here. Susan walks up and asks what she's doing here and Lynette says, yeah, I'm a total whore, but don't tell Gabby. <laughs> and then Edie walks up and says that they have a load of copies of her book and that the kids are waiting for her to sign them. Susan thought the party was going to be in a park so that Gabby wouldn't know about it and Lynette says that she's with Victor all day, so they're safe. After this, a few kids run up to Karen's house and paint the word witch on her front door in red paint, and Parker is quick to defend her. He gets pushed down by one of the kids when Karen runs out and scares them off. She goes to check if he's okay, and he says that it'll all stop if he would just tell everyone the truth. Parker, this is embarrassing. Parker is... Getting bullied by a kid with some shitty face paint. (laughs) Like, whoever did that kid's pirate face paint has clearly never seen a pirate before in their lives. (laughs) That's so harsh. Like, that was shitty ass face paint that these kids had on. Like, half ass shit. Makeup department, sort your shit out. I hope that Susan didn't do the face paint. She's meant to be an artist. She is, but she's she's like a... Whatever they're called. They're, they're artists, but there's a specific name for who does the drawings and books. An illustrator. That's the word, thank you. Oh, she's right. like an illustrator. But, oh, do you know, I think she's just an author as well. Yeah, because she has mentioned writing. Yeah, and uh, the poster for her um, book, Ants in My Picnic Basket, is 
written by Susan Meyer. Yeah. How great that Edie also got Susan to come so that she can do a sign-in for the kids. Like, again, once again, Edie is using her son for something. But... First it's this bartender. Party, but this party's off the hook. Yeah, I know, but first it's a bartender, or it's sex bait, and now it's revenge against Gabby. Always, she's always using her son for something. But she's giving him a great party. So... Gabby then unexpectedly pulls up at her house on her phone to Lynette, saying that Victor got caught up at some homeless shelter in a photo op, holding the phone against your head while driving as well, Gabby. Really? Mm. Are we really doing that? She says that she tried Susan and then notices that their cars are in the driveway, and when she sees a couple of kids run up the street, she decides to investigate. Which is the second time in this season where people have seen kids running up a street, going to a party and gotten angry. <laughs> what was the first time? Nora. Oh, yeah! Weird, weird parallels. I, I've even got it written down. Like, why would you see some kids running down the street and think to follow them? She's like, where is everybody? And then she sees two kids running down the street with balloons and she's like, Lynette and Susan are behind this. Maybe it is a Nora situation. Maybe she's like the new Nora. But maybe she thinks that she wasn't invited to a party. Maybe. <laughs> she's like, what the hell? I wasn't invited to a kid's party. I'm invited to every party. Right? Lynette sees Gabby's car pulling up and tackles Susan to the ground, telling her that she just saw Gabby's car and that they have to, like, you know, stay down. So they crawl off into a reptile van. <laughs> Where she also turns to her kid, Porter or Preston or whichever one it is. Can we play? No, go ride the python. <laughs> ride the python. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> well, um, I'll be certainly riding the python if you know. <laughs> <laughs> Lynette watches as Gabby drives around the park, and Susan wishes that she'd hurry up as she's terrified of snakes, and I feel you, girl. But Lynette says that she's more terrified of Gabby. She then turns around and sees a massive spider out of its cage, and both her and Susan end up running out of the van screaming. Gabby obviously sees this and approaches them to ask what they're doing here. Lynette says that she's catering, so it's just business, but she doesn't have a clue why Susan's here. (laughs) Throws her under the bus. Just business. I don't know why she's here. <laughs> oh, Susan was pissed. You are so dead. <laughs> and Edie spots the argument from her stand, finding the whole situation absolutely delicious. Carlos notices it too, and he literally carries Gabby out of the party. <laughs> like, throws her over his shoulder. Mm-mm. He tells her to stop ruining the party, and they both start talking about how ridiculous it was to hear about how the other one is dating new people. And then we get to the, the love talk. He asks Gabby if she loves Victor, and she says yes, and then she then asks if he loves Edie, and he says no, it's only casual. She seems pretty shocked by this, and by this honesty, and he asks how it is that she gets to be angry, even though she's in love with someone else. Like, just no. Mary Alice then narrates that for the first time, Gabby was okay with Carlos being with someone else, as she knew that Carlos still belonged to her. I mean, that does not sound good for Gabby. Mary Alice, you're completely making Gabby sound like an utter selfish bitch. I mean, that is very Gabby and Carlos. It is. And I'm sorry, but Carlos really pissed me off in this scene. What, because he carried her out? Because, (laughs) well, first he just grabbed her without her consent, first of all. Secondly, she gets to be angry because he's dating her friend. Like, it's not the fact that he is dating. It's who he is dating. That is the problem. And the fact that he does not get that. Because um, we gave Edie a bit of a hard time earlier, so mm. it's now time to give Carlos a hard time. Yeah, because like, Carlos, you should have told her too. Get some perspective, you douchebag. And let's not manhandle. Yeah. No manhandling. No manhandling here. It wasn't necessary. It you really could have just pushed her in front of a car. Put her in a freezer. <laughs> yeah. That's the new thing. That is the, that is the new thing now. 
Karen then shows up at the party just as it's finishing and the cake is being cut for people to take home and it all gets a bit quiet and awkward. I didn't come here for sweets. <laughs> she says that she's only here because she knows everyone's been talking about her and that the only way to shut them all up is to come clean. So she tells them that she didn't kill Gilbert. She came home one weekend and found him dead in front of the TV. She waited until 2am to call the funeral home and in doing so she found his pension plan on the desk. Apparently in the event of his death, she wasn't the beneficiary, his first wife was. The idiot didn't change the paperwork. What a mm, moron. Right, like, Karen has spent the past, like, couple of seasons, maybe, ever since she started getting a bit more of a meatier role, slagging off her husband. And now we know why. Because the guy was a, a moron. He really was incompetent. You really are a fat bastard. Um, <laughs> he really was incompetent, wasn't he? Oh, my God. She, uh, I mean, at the age that he died... Yeah, he. It, it, the pension plan was still in the name of his first wife, who he was married to for only two years. You should have changed that once you'd gotten married to Karen. Yeah. I mean, I know there are things that slip through the net. Like, there are things when you move and there's like one or two things you usually forget to change your address on or something. Because it's not something you do with often. But at some point you will remember it. You will get a letter about your pension. Your pension plan has changed or your company will talk to you about your pension and that will trigger it. She can't bring herself to say what she did, so Lynette says, so you put Gilbert in the freezer and kept cash in the checks. Karen then, then tells the ladies that they now know the truth and have her permission to pass it on. Not that some of them need it. Right. She then does a walk-off and exchanges smiles with Parker. They re- they have such a cute little connection. Yeah. Parker and Karen. And I, I'm guessing it's because he's not very close to his biological grandparents. Maybe. That we see anyway. We've not seen Lynette's parents yet. I love that Parker just kind of has this kind, this childlike view of morality, where he's like, just tell the truth and everything will be fine. Mm. And she did it, and it was all fine. And it was so fine. So Parker won. Yeah. Good job. Good job, little buddy. So, Susan goes over to Mike's, much to his surprise, and tells him that she's been very confused, but she just saw a court-ordered therapist and needs to talk to him. We cut to them on the porch, and Susan has told him that she is sure of what she wants, and she's decided to marry Ian. She tries to make it easier, and says maybe if the timing had been different, but Mike says that at least he has his memories. Which, given everything that we've seen this season about him recovering his memories, hit hard. That really did hit hard. That was really sad. If you pause it right, you can actually see the moment where his heart breaks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but like, Susan's really picking Ian, because Ian doesn't deserve to have his heart broken, that's the reason. She's done this before, and it was wrong then. Yeah. Why do we keep picking Ian? You've seen what he's like. This is all wrong. This isn't how it's supposed to go. The annoying Brit is not supposed to get her. She's supposed to pick the sexy, hulking, all-American. Yeah. But that's what she's supposed to do. We all know it. We're all here for it. No one wants her to pick Ian. I've never met a single person in this lifetime that has said, Susan and Ian would have been good together. I don't think that would happen. No. <laughs> but if you are one of those people, if you are part of the 0.01%, let oh. us know. Oh, please let us know. It'd be good to hear on the other side of the story. Yeah, if you if you have a genuine argument for why Susan should pick Ian and not Mike, let us know. I want to read it. Yeah. We might even read it out on the show. Yeah, we'll shout we you out. We might even have you on the show. We'll shout you out. We then cut to Lynette at the restaurant with Rick and they're getting ready to lock up and go on their date to his brother's restaurant. She has her hair down and puts on some perfume when Tom and the family surprisingly show up. Tom says they got a cab and he took a double dose of painkillers and Lynette goes to to get Rick to make them some food. They all take a seat at one of the booths and Tom asks Kayla to grab a high chair for Penny. 
she goes to get the chair and she notices that Lynette and Rick are kind of talking, kind of maybe being a bit flirty in the kitchen. Yeah. There's a bit of hand on chest, but There's not hand bit. on her own chest this time. Yeah. He says he'll stay and cook for our family, and Lynette says thank you and gives him a friendly pat on the chest. And she, yeah, she definitely notices that. Penny, go home before your mother shoots you. Hi, Lynette. I'll be in my booth. <laughs> it's what Rick deserves. It's what he deserves. What's that? Like... The family coming over and completely ruining his night and making them cook for him. Well, they don't make him, but he's like, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. But it's what he deserves. They were nearly 2012 busted. Yeah. Well, I don't really know. I was just saying they were nearly busted. Oh. <laughs> they were nearly busted. Tom they was were. like, oh, you smell nice. And she's like, oh, it must be the basil. Sometimes it's really sweet. <laughs> it's got a sweet smell. <laughs> basil. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo, basil. Um, <laughs> Okay, if that's how, if that's the ex- if that's if that's what you want to say, Lynette, if that's what you're going with, it's the basil. Life clearly is getting to Lynette right now, and this is obviously her escape. Like her doing this kind of thing with Rick was her escape. Like getting close and then pulling back, getting close like that. So I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I kind of understand. It's yeah, it's one of those awkward little things that's making her feel young and alive again, kind of thing, isn't yeah. it? And she, she clearly feels like she needs that right now because everything else is just dragging her down like, ooh, emotionally. Like, hot younger guy flirting with me. Maybe flirt back a little bit. Maybe yeah. I still got it. Exactly. Later at home, Kayla is tucking Tom into his dining room bed and tells Tom that she thinks that Lynette likes Rick. He says that Rick is a good guy and works really hard, so it makes sense. But Kayla says no. She thinks that Lynette likes him, likes him. She then says goodnight and leaves Tom to his thoughts. Devious. Yeah, she's like, I'm gonna let that stew. Oh, she's there, like, oh, your wife's cheating on your boo, and then she just walks out. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just gonna cut in some more garlic and just let it sizzle. Kayla deserves her own little spin-off, I think. I would watch that. That could be on, like, Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon? Yeah, like, it'd be a kid's spin-off show. Oh, please. But, um, it's not gonna be an adult show, is it? Unless we have a grown-up Kayla coming back. (laughs) And, like shit up yeah okay i get that but is tom really going to let what this random young girl says about his wife get to him in such a way well the thing is i think he was already suspecting it yeah so he just needed any kind of other confirmation for him to spiral okay and he's gonna spiral okay so hold up i don't recall that we've ever actually done trivia on a little actress for kayla no we haven't so rachel g fox is her name Fantastic little actress. We've said it a million and one times, I think, or at least I know I have. She landed her first major role as Kayla Huntington Scarvo on the ABC series Desperate Housewives. Rachel began working later on in film on her first feature, which was an independent film, Spork, which debuted at Tribeca and (laughs) showed at BFI's London Film Festival and received critical acclaim and distribution throughout Netflix. Later, she was cast to play Naomi Watts' daughter in NBC's Universal psychological thriller Dreamhouse, which starred Daniel Craig. She worked in recurring roles on shows like ABC's Families, Melissa and Joey, which had um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Melissa Joan Hart, iCarly, That's So Raven, as well as others. When she turned 18, she took a hiatus from pursuing roles in film and TV after working in Los Angeles for over 10 years. And since then, she has now returned to the industry to continue her work as an LA-based actress. Good for her. Good for her. So, well done, Rachel G. Fox, for all of the work. And we look forward to seeing you in the future. Oh, so she has actually been in some cool stuff then. She has been in iCarly, That's So Raven. Mm. It's the future I can see. I wonder if she's always a villain. (laughs) 
I don't know, maybe. Well, she is a good little actress. She is. So I'm excited to start hopefully seeing her in more things going forward now. Mm. We then cut to Susan in her little art studio of the house, and she's making out with Ian. They're being all romantic and lovey and very gross. People might throw fruit. (laughs) And she's telling him that she's going to lock up, so he should just go upstairs and warm up the bed. Ugh. I'm going to lock up, so just fuck off. (laughs) She then listens to a voicemail from Mike, and it's basically a goodbye. He says that she was the best thing that ever happened to him, and that he hopes that she finds the happiness that she deserves. She looks pretty upset and Ian comes down and overhears the message and he watches as Susan listens to it again. He just sort of stands behind her. He has this look on his face, kind of like a realisation, I guess. And then he Mm. goes back upstairs. When Susan goes upstairs, she finds Ian packing a suitcase and saying that he's going back to England. She says that she'll get over Mike and that she loves him. And Ian says that she's tried to get over him for as long as he's known her, but that she loves Mike that little bit more. He tells her that she deserves to be happy, as does he, and he says goodbye to her before leaving. It's sweet that Ian realises this, like, politely steps aside, we've ripped on him, but at least we never have to do that again. Yeah, it's nice, I mean, the character that we probably like the least has a very gracious exit. He does have a very gracious exit, and this scene does break my heart, like, she gets the message and she just can't bring herself to delete it, and she just plays it on repeat. And then the fact that Mike just makes it everything by ending his voicemail with, oh, this is Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of got that, babe. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> to be honest, it kind of it's kind of heartbreaking that Ian realises as well. Yeah. The fact that he kind of knew, mm. that's kind of sad. How long was she listening to that message? Because by the time she goes back upstairs, Ian had like already half packed. <laughs> Well, she, she did need to lock up. That's true, that is true, but it doesn't take that long. Come on, Susan, it's been 30 minutes. <laughs> but ding dong, ring the bells. She's chosen Mike. Ding dong, the Brit is dead. Well, actually, <laughs> Which old Ian, <laughs> Ian kind of chose Mike for her. <laughs> it, well, to be fair, it was kind of coming with how much Ian was talking about Mike. Ian yeah. would pick yeah. Mike himself if he could. <laughs> yeah, he's like, look, I know you like more. He's handsome. He's fit. He has dreamy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> What a happy resolution. It is. Farewell to Ian. Goodbye, do Grace Scott. Thank you for your hard work on Desperate Housewives. And I'm sorry if you got any hate yeah. from the fans for this role, because yeah. we know fans do that shit. Fans do do that shit, but this was back in the early noughties. I don't think it was quite the same. Yeah, level literally hate, hate letters, <clears throat> like hate mail. Yeah. The next morning, Lynette approaches Karen at the mailbox and asks if, she's, if she wants to babysit again, saying that it didn't work out with the old babysitter. She then says that she'll do it, but she's going to need a raise as money's a little tight. I wouldn't be surprised if Lynette came up to Karen and she'd be like, have you seen the new babysitter? I can't find her. I was like, oh, I've got no idea. Let me check your freezer, Karen. (laughs) Lynette then goes back inside and tells Tom that Karen said yes, and Tom says that he's been thinking about it and it's time for him to get back to work. Lynette finds this a little bit surprising as the doctor said that it'd be longer, but Tom says that he'll only be doing light work anyway, and he feels bad that Lynette is doing everything herself. Also, Lynette, no. This is a big no. You don't just walk in, sit down at the table, steal coffee out of someone's hands and breakfast off their plate. She literally took the coffee out of Tom's hand and started drinking it and took some toast off of Tom's plate. And I'm like, "Uh, excuse me, bitch. No, we don't do this. Make your own. Is this marriage? Is this heterosexual marriage? Is this marriage? She needs to be stopped. She does need to be stopped. Someone needs to... Karen. (laughs) Come on, Karen. (laughs) Oh, put her in the freezer. (laughs) 
She says that she doesn't want him to come back before he's ready, but he says that he'll be careful and that they can now let Rick go. Lynette asks why they'd let Rick go, and Tom says that his salary is cutting into their profits, but Lynette defends him, saying that the income that he generates pretty much kind of makes up for that. He then asks if she's going to be late tonight, and Lynette says they have a big party tonight, so she'll probably see him in the morning, and she does a walkout, leaving Tom on his own. I know the show wants us to think that Lynette can't let go of Rick, because there's feelings there or whatever. Personally, I don't think that's the case. I don't think there's anything wrong with Lynette wanting to keep the one person that you have in that place that knows how to make something other than pizza. <laughs> that is true. It's just a shame about what's happening with them. Yeah. Also, I mean, it depends. Do you think Lynette actually wants to have an affair? Um, I don't think Lynette wants to have an affair. It does seem very much like we said earlier, where it's like, oh, this younger man's flirting with me. How saucy, maybe I've still got it. Yeah, it's you like know, an like That little bit of ex- excitement. Yeah. But it could easily lead to an affair. I mean, it could, because she could easily lose control. One moment of weakness, one slip. You're, you're getting this close to a person. All Tom has to do is say one thing that really pisses you off. Exactly. And you just go straight to him. And, and then we know it... that that's likely to happen. Yeah. So apparently the mailman sucks and <laughs> Ida shows up at Susan's house to drop off her mail, which went to Ida's house. She then asks if she heard the news about Mike, who was apparently left town in the middle of the night, according to Carlos, who said that something bad happened and he just went to get the heck out of Dodge. Susan then takes a long look at the house across the road, which is now empty. Yeah. Well, no, because Carlos is there. Yeah, Carlos is there. It's it's Mike. It's empty of Mike. It's Mikeless. So like this is so shitty. We were finally getting our Mike and Susan moment and he moves. Well, Susan didn't choose him. No, I know. I know. And you know, he's not supposed to, you know, be expected to sit around and wait for Susan to realise she's made a bad decision and come crawling back. Exactly. This kind of had to happen because she chose Ian and then Ian chose for her. Hmm. And he wanted her to be happy. He wanted to leave so she could finally be happy. But life doesn't work that way. It wasn't a choice that she made. No. So she doesn't get that growth. No, she doesn't get that growth. And she doesn't get the reward. No. No, she doesn't. She doesn't deserve it. She threw it, she threw it aside. So I'm, I'm not saying that she doesn't deserve it. But it's... Them- I'm saying it's, it's thematically appropriate that she doesn't get Mike right now. I'm saying she doesn't deserve it. You can't it, just toss it aside and then hopefully hopefully it'll still be there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's quite sad because we all want them to get together, but thematically it makes sense that she doesn't get him right now. Yeah. So yeah. maybe in the future. Show growth and then you'll get it. So Mary Alice ends the episode by narrating about gossip. She says about how it's just careless talk and we have a shot of some of the pizzeria workers talking about how you have to flirt with Mrs. Scarver to get the job as the deputy manager here. Well, Tucker, maybe get to flirting and then it'll give you a chance. Yeah. Like, don't hate the player, hate the game. She says it's nasty speculation based on not-so-polite fact and we see some day players having a little walk around saying he may be dating Edie. But everyone knows that he's still in love with Gabby. Day player, how dare you? I don't remember that character's name. But she has a name. (laughs) Which Edie hears from behind the flower arch. Mm. She then asks how we can protect ourselves from such gossip. As we see Karen sweeping her front lawn. Some kids then ride up on their bikes and ask if she's the lady who kept her husband in the freezer. And Karen says yes. And Mary Alice says that the best way is to just tell the truth and wait for the gossipers to start talking about someone else. There will always be something else. Gossip is going to gossip. Yeah. But the things that people gossip about probably don't last that long. No, they really don't. It feels like it lasts a long time if it's if it's you, if it's centred around you. It feels like it goes on forever. But there will always be a bigger scandal that comes out. They'll move on. It'll become a joke. Yeah. 
you'll you'll laugh about it. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of the episode. That does. That was gossip. That's gossip. We're now going to move on to Joel's segment where he's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment of the episode. So Joel, what do you have for the gayest moment? So my award for gayest moment. Goes to Susan for having a mental breakdown and threatening to decapitate a man and just brushing it off as a bad day. It was just a bad day. It was just a bad day. Like, that's all it was. Like, it, I don't hate men. I don't want to kill everyone. It's just a bad day. Yeah, we've all wanted to do this when someone's taken our spot yeah. or just drives like a nutter. I feel like it's a very gay thing to brush it off as a bad day. You have you you get overdramatic. <laughs> someone's like, well, mate, calm down. And you're like, I'm oh, sorry, it was just a bad day. Yeah. You caught me in a bad moment. I'm I'm fine. Mentally, I'm fine. I promise. Mentally, I'm 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 fine. Just a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why did you throw the spaghetti bolognese at the wall? It, I was having a bad day. Yeah, just a bad day. Okay. <laughs> it was a bad day. <laughs> so yeah, that's my award. Bravo, Susan. And what do you have for your straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. Goes to Carlos for clearly not getting why Gabby is upset, despite the fact that she's made it perfectly clear why. And he even told Edie that she would react this way. And he even sort of mans it up a bit. Yeah. He's like, so you're the one that gets to be angry, even though I'm just having casual sex. (laughs) Right. So Carlos gets straightest moment purely for his like ineptitude of being able to understand anything but his own thought. Also, every time that Carlos has even an inkling of a point, and he gets righteous about it, it does my head in. Yeah, because he always, that's, it's always happens. He always has something like a point, and then he realises himself that his point is valid, and then he oversteps his mark. And then, yeah, he gets all <laughs> self-righteous, Yeah, and then he pulls this face, and I just want to wind it up in a car window and smack it about. <laughs> 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 okay, so those are my awards. Congratulations to Susan and Carlos. Uh, and now we move on to B segment four, best and worst parents. And B, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? My award for best parent of the episode. I actually have them this week as well. <laughs> Woohoo! My best parent award goes to Edie for throwing a banging pie with animals, Scarrow's pizza, and a book signing. If anybody else threw that party with snakes, it was and it wasn't Ed. They would be getting the worst parent award for having snakes at a party. We don't talk about the snakes, but because it's Ed, he can get past the snakes. So, <laughs> but I can t- guarantee you right now, if Gabby had thrown a party, or like Susan had thrown Julia a party with snakes, B would have been like, "Worst parent, worst parent! How dare she put her child around snakes?" <laughs> well, let's let's not forget the pizza and the book signing. <laughs> This was a great that party. Was, it was an epic party. It was great. It was an epic party. But They even Ants, had an author. And what I will say, actually, I didn't mention in the scene, Ants in My Picnic Basket sounds like a very young child's book. Mm-hmm. And Travers and the kids at that party kind of felt like they were a bit too old for that book. Yeah, it almost sounds like a... Toddler's book. Toddler's book, yeah. Yeah, and Travers and the other kids are, what, six, seven... Like, very infant book rather yeah. than child book. And I don't think that any of the children there would care about that book. Yeah. But that's just my thoughts on it. I could be wrong. But we're basing that on a name. Yeah, we're basing it on a name and a very brief image that I sort of saw blurred in the background of the party scene. Mm. But yeah, so, okay, so bravo ED for winning that. And what is your award for the worst parent of the episode? My award for... Worst parent of the episode... 
goes to Lynette for so many nights spent away from her family so that she can flirt with Rick. Okay, yeah, I will, I yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I do agree with that. I mean, I could have given it to Susan, actually. Why? For making her daughter do all of her dirty work. Oh, but God, not all of her dirty work, exactly, only one little bit. Exactly, so I didn't. I held back. You did hold back. Good job, babe. Good job. <laughs> I held back from shitting on Susan. <laughs> and those are all of our awards. So thank you so much for listening. If people want to find us on our social media where they can tell us all about how <laughs> maybe they support Ian and why. Yeah. Or if they can just message us with any questions, queries, comments and theories. Where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com, and our artwork is done by Louis, who you can find on Instagram at docredmonkdesign, as well as a link to his Etsy page where he does do commissions. He does. Thank you again to the people that do message in. We, in the world of, like, podcasting, we don't have, like, a lot of listeners, but we've got some really lovely... We do. We have some um, wonderful fans. Yeah. They call themselves fans. Yeah. So we will. So, yeah, yeah. I don't want to seem arrogant by saying fans. They like, call I'm themselves so, fans, so it's okay. Yeah. And um, the messages they send in makes it work. It's lovely. It's it lovely. It so it. shout out to all of you guys out there that are listeners. Thank you for listening. Thank you for enjoying the garbage that we put out there into the world yeah the emails the instagram messages yeah the interaction thank you for taking this turd and shining it for us yeah thank you for making this random side activity that we do on a weekly basis which takes up a surprising amount of time it really does it really does even though it's meant to be just for fun yeah (laughs) thank you for making it worth it yeah it is just for fun as well don't get us wrong it's meant to be fun and it is fun we do love it we do it is also a bit of a portfolio thing for me it is also, yeah, work thing for B, work thing for me. Yeah. So, so thank you very much. And um, please do not stop getting in touch. Yeah, we love it. So next week, we'll be doing season three, episode 21, Into the Woods. Which I kind of guess we don't need to really explain what that's from. Well, it's my turn to do the trivia. So I'll find out. Into the Woods. I don't know where it's from, but I'll find out. Yeah, oh, I'm not, sh- not sure. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.